Last week, I got to spend three days with Episcopal colleagues from all over Western Washington at our annual clergy conference, a gathering specifically for priests and deacons led by the bishop and her staff. I look forward to this get-together every year, but most especially since coming out of pandemic lockdown. Those years were a great equalizer for us clergy because they turned us all into the walking wounded. And that gave us ample opportunities to be vulnerable with one another so we could deepen our friendships. The theme of the clergy conference this year was from neutral zone to new beginning, transitions in our diocese, our ministries, and our lives. Bishop Melissa taught us a model for understanding transitions. And it starts with this basic observation. Change can happen very quickly, even instantaneously. But transitions take a very long time. Change happens to us from outside ourselves, even change that we ourselves have willed. But transition can be defined as the way our inner psychological state responds to that change. If it's possible to see it coming, we anticipate change. We begin the transition early because we dwell on it more and more as the change approaches. After a change occurs, we may feel unmoored as we enter a time in between, a neutral zone, before the new reality can really solidify. But gradually, that new beginning becomes the current reality. The thing is, the old way of being never really goes away. It just fades into the background. And it can reemerge at the most surprising times in the form of nostalgia, regret, grief, or even trauma. I'm not a fan of the term neutral zone to explain what happens between the old reality and the new. I think it feels more chaotic than that, not at all neutral. I prefer the term wilderness, which is rooted in the sacred stories of our faith. We hear that the Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, which isn't meant to be a literal 40 years, but archetypal. At the beginning of this time, Moses went up a mountaintop to receive the law from the hand of God, the law that would govern the people of Israel for centuries to come. To meet God on a mountaintop is also an archetypal experience. Centuries later, we hear, the prophet Elijah went toe-to-toe -to -toe with the prophets of Baal, and having showed them up, he had to flee for his life. He fled to the same mountain Moses had once gone up, and there he hid in a cave, and he had his own experience of meeting the living God, not in earthquakes and a booming voice, but in the sound of sheer silence. Both Moses and Elijah came down from that same mountain with new clarity about God's will for the next steps in their lives and the lives of the people they served. It would be neat if the mountain that Jesus and his friends ascend in today's story were also the same mountain. They weren't anywhere near it on the map, actually, but I'm starting to think 
that maybe all mountains lead to the same spiritual location. In times of change and transition, it's good to get up to a high place and seek the living God. Who knows? While you're up there, you might just run into your ancestors in the faith. The people who struggled and doubted and strove and despaired and eventually came to be in the nearer presence of God. On the tops of mountains, apparently, our ancient heroes are still available to us. Moses died on a mountain overlooking the promised land that he would never enter. And we are told that nobody remembered his burial place. Elijah, famously, and as we just heard, did not die, but was whisked away to God's presence in a chariot of fire, leaving his mantle for Elisha to take up, along with a double portion of his spirit. Just because this transition was expected doesn't mean it was easy for Elisha to go through. We hear that once he could no longer see Elijah ascending, he tore his clothes in grief. Yet we see that Elisha had been entering the wilderness for some time, step by step, his grief increasing more and more as the prophets kept reminding him that Elijah was going to leave him. Yes, I know. Keep silent. Like, I don't want to talk about it. Let me preserve my own process of grief at this inevitable transition. Elisha could not hold it off forever. Eventually, he had to go through the transition. And preparing for it ahead of time didn't make it easy. Even so, the spirit of, Elisha, of Elijah never really departed from him. In Jesus' time, at the top of a different mountain, yet spiritually the same one, Peter doesn't want to go through a transition either. Jesus has already told him, Peter, they're going to kill me. Jesus has also said in the same breath, I will rise again. But Peter only hears the first part, and he doesn't accept it. Now, he's here with James and John and Jesus, and lo and behold, Moses and Elijah. They're talking about what Jesus must do down in Jerusalem after this. Peter doesn't want to hear it. He deflects. He stuffs his feelings. And they come out sideways as a flustered sort of piety. Let's mark this great moment. Let's make tents to contain the glory we see here and to preserve it. No. Peter is running too hard from that which he can't avoid. God speaks directly into his ear. Stop it. Haven't you been listening to my beloved child? Be silent. Be still. Just enjoy the light. Paul, meanwhile, writes to the Corinthians that the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. I'm going to connect this in, and I'd like to cast it in a different light, fully confessing that I don't know whether Paul would accept my interpretation, but let's give it a try. The God of this world commonly known as Satan, I'm sure that's what Paul means, is the one who keeps us believing that we can stop things from changing, that we can cling to anything as it is forever. Satan, however you envision him, is the voice that tempts you into believing you can maintain control over your life if you just struggle hard enough. 
When Peter didn't want to talk about death, Jesus shouted at him, Get behind me, Satan! Peter needed to let death be. To see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ is to accept the full humanity of Jesus of Nazareth, the very image of God, because his humanity is the lens through which we can see our own humanity afresh. Death is coming, and we cannot stop it. Death looks like darkness to us, not because it is evil, but because we don't see any light in it. Yet the light is there. The light has been there from the very moment the Creator spoke it into being. An alternative to the darkness, a companion to the darkness, a dance partner for the darkness. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot ever overcome it. So enjoy the moment you're in right now because it's going to pass. And if you're not paying attention, perhaps it won't stay with you for the long run. The only way you can keep this moment is to enjoy it now and let it go when it's gone. The only way you can keep the most beloved people in your life is to unbind them and let them go. The only way you can keep children in your life is to let them grow gradually away from you. The only way you can keep joyful situations in your life is to let them change and shift into something else, to accept the transitions that are the very fabric of our human existence. It's all changing. It's all dying. It's all rising again. Let it be. Furthermore, you are not merely the person you become in the final moments of your life. God is present to all times and places. You are not cumulative, but eternal. Your death is an indispensable part of your eternity. You will fall back into death, and Jesus will be there to catch you. That's how this whole thing works. So when you experience a loss, a change, a transition, grieve deeply because that's what humans do. That grief will never go away, but it will fade into the background like a constant ringing in your ear for the rest of your life. And sometimes it will be more present than at other times. None of us can avoid this. Only in death will our every grief be fully healed. Without death, however, complete healing can never happen. So live in love, cradling in your hands the gifts God showers upon you, but not clinging to them, surrendering them with grace, so that the next gift has a place to land. If it feels like we're making a turn here, that's because we are. Today is the last Sunday after the Epiphany. On Tuesday, we will celebrate with abandon at our annual Mardi Gras party. Join us that night at 6 o'clock for pancakes and reveling. We will burn the palms from last year's Palm Sunday procession to make ashes. And the next day, we will smear the ashes on one another's foreheads to remind us 
that we are all in transition all the time. Let every ending be an ending. Look forward to new beginnings. But this week, let us come down from the mountain and enter the wilderness together. Amen.